Hey there, before we get started, just want to let you know today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter, helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members. Breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action. Goldinvestmentletter.com How low can the VIX go? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jared Dillian, editor of the Daily Dirt Nap newsletter. Hi, Jared. It's great to see you. Yeah, good to be here. So... What do you make of the VIX getting down below 17? So the VIX is a sort of measure of volatility, but a lot of people kind of consider it the fear index. And so when it's really low, it suggests that, you know, things are super calm and everything's fine, but it it feels like that's not the case. What do you make of this? Are you watching this? Does it matter? What do you think it's telling us? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about it. So first of all, realize volatility I'm like, I'm looking at a three-day chart of the S&P right now. The S&P is onch over three days. It's been onch every single day. Like, realize volatility is zero, right? So if you're long options, just kind of a dumb example, if you're long straddles and the market isn't moving, they're melting, like, people are going to be selling volatility, right? So it's really a function of realize going down. I think that... People kind of have this reflex that when volatility gets low, they want to buy volatility. They want an expressive view that volatility is going higher. So they do this through VXX or calls on VXX or they buy calls on the VIX. And I can tell you, there has been more money wasted on betting on higher volatility than any other strategy in the markets. Right, there's been billions of dollars in premium bought on VIX calls that have just evaporated. So my advice to people is, if you see volat- implied volatility getting lower, then it, you have to understand that this condition could persist for a very long time. Now, I remember in 2004, 2005, 2006, the VIX actually got below nine, right? And it was a bit of a bubble in, in, in option selling, like everybody was selling options. But the market was moving 10, 20 basis points a day. And this lasted for like two years. So just because the VIX got in the 16 handle today doesn't mean you want to run out and buy VXX. Like this, this could persist for a really long time. Does that tell us anything about the broader market or the performance of stock markets or, or are the correlations kind of breaking down? Well, one thing it tells us, there is a correlation between uh, equity volatility and credit spreads. So when equity volatility goes down, it usually means that credit spreads compress, which usually means that it's a positive economic sign. I mean, last year, it's volatility is a funny thing. You know, we had a big bear market last year. The market was down top to bottom 25%. And yet the VIX never really got much above 30, right? Whereas during the pandemic, when the market crashed 35%, the VIX got above 80, okay? So 
there's there's a lot of dynamics which I don't think people fully understand about how volatility behaves. But I'm just saying, like, it could stay low for a really long time, which, by the way, is bad for the newsletter business. Like, my business is kind of correlated with the VIX, right? When the VIX is high, I get new subscriptions. When the VIX is low, like, it's really quiet and boring, and nobody wants to subscribe to the Daily Dirt Nap. So, oh, okay. Well, now we don't, we have to pay attention. Good thing you're an author and, and a DJ and a million other things. We'll, we'll talk about <laughs> that in a second. Uh, but, you know, it it does seem a little odd, I think, though, because people feel like we just, you know, we have this maybe banking crisis that's stabilized, but you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. We still have a war. We have China. We have, you know, there are all these sort of tensions, and yet it's not reflected in the market. We have, we're in the middle of earnings. Netflix is out. Morgan Stanley out. Tesla's out any minute. And so far, nothing seems to be moving the market. Do you see any catalyst f- to break break stocks out of this range? Uh, I think the Fed meeting could be a catalyst for even more vol selling, right? So the Fed meeting is May 3rd. It's next week. And if the Fed signals, if they if they hike 25 basis points and then basically signal that they're going to pause, stocks are going to rally significantly, perhaps 2 3 4% in a day. And you're going to get an even bigger vol crush. And the VIX will go down to like 15, 14, something like that. Um, that's That's my opinion. So, you know, it's interesting because I think people are looking for that, right? And everyone's kind of waiting for the timing. We have a lot of people asking that, but it's, I was really, this is such a, this year has been such a year of kind of disconnects. I was really struck. Raul did for all of that. You who are watching and asked questions yesterday, Raul took over the daily briefing and did an AMA, ask me anything. And it was really interesting because the tone in the chat and in the questions was kind of dark and gloomy. A lot of people worried about war, about running out of energy, about AI. Um, and, and Rao was really struck by it. In fact, here's a clip of him kind of reacting to it in real time. Let's have a listen. Don Fun. Don, does cynicism maybe mean people are in disbelief? Uh, and that's exactly what it is. You know, at periods of great change, people get really cynical. I was on a spaces call today and I could hear a friend of mine really pushing back on AI. No, it's not. It's not happening. EV, it's not happening. It's all nonsense. I'm like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But you don't sound like you've got an open mind to it because I think people fear change. And that's understandable. If you don't have that abundance mindset going into this kind of stuff, it's unsettling because everything you took to understand as stable isn't stable. Everything you thought was new is now not new anymore. It's it's actually really hard. So I may kind of joke about the kind of scarcity mindset, the mindset of no, don't change, the fear of change. But look, it's a complete understandable thing. And people don't like it and they find arguments against stuff because they don't want change. And that's okay. But change still comes and there's nothing you can do about it. So you might as well just embrace it. You know, I wanted to play that because psychology is important, right? It does matter. What's your sense right now when you look at sentiment? Because I know that's something you watch closely, Jared. Are people operating from a place of fear? You know, where are we on the sort of bullish, bearish, the world's ending kind of kind of scale here? Yeah, I mean, Raul and I agree on a lot. We, I don't, I don't talk to him a great deal. I might email him like once a month or something like that, but I do talk to him, and we're generally on the same page on a lot of things. 
uh, there is a lot of pessimism out there, it, it, which is weird because stocks are up almost 20% off the lows. And you would think that, you know, sentiment would start to normalize a little bit and people would get bullish, but it hasn't happening. I, if you ask me on a scale of one to 10 where sentiment is, I'd say it's about two and a half, hmm. maybe even two. Um, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV, but if you turn on CNBC or any of the financial news channels, it, there's a lot of pessimism. I was talking to my broker the other day. He talks to his clients. He said, everybody is gloom and doom, you know, so it's, it's pervasive. And if you think about the fact that stocks are up almost 20% and people are still this bearish, what do you think the next 20% move in stocks is going to be? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. That's why I mentioned it's kind of a, it's it's a strange time time of disconnects. Um, and we do. By the way, Rod did that AMA. We do these on the platform as well because I think it is really important for people to kind of just air whatever they want. And you unearth a lot of interesting things like this sort of you know undercurrent of concern and worry. I know you you talk a lot about these issues. I mentioned you're an author as well. Um, your book. Uh, just hit Amazon, which published those bastards, which I love, and I read your essays anyway um, as they come out. <laughs> we both have one, but but it's interesting to me because you talk a lot about these issues, um, and one of them that I read that really struck me was we're all here to feel a little stress. Talk to me about that because I feel like, especially you know, you're talking about it in general in life. A lot of these essays are just sort of life; they're not necessarily about investing. But I think there's a lot of crossover, and people are feeling really stressed. They almost become paralyzed. They don't know what to do. And we hear a lot of that in the questions. What do you mean we're all here to feel a little stress? Well, that story comes from when I first started at Lehman. This was in 2001. Um, the different desks were doing presentations to the associate class. And there was a guy from FX Research and the ding dong next to me raises his hand and says, is your job stressful? Which is like the dumbest question of all time. But the guy, he, he stood there and he thought about it and he's like, we are all here to feel a little stress, right? Which at an investment bank, like that's why you work at an investment bank to feel stressed. Like being a trader is like one of the most stressful jobs imaginable. Like being a banker is stressful. So one of the things I find interesting is that there's a lot of talk about avoidance of stress, right? Like, I don't want to do X because that is going to be stressful, right? But really, if you think about the most successful people in the world, they're people who sought out stress. They tried to expose themselves to as much stress as possible. And stress is really pain. Like, what it is is pain. You're having... A, a physiological reaction to a psychological stressor. You're actually feeling pain, but when you feel pain and you handle it like an adult and you come out the other side, you grow as a person, right? Mm. So, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I have, I have my um, annual conference next week in Pauly's Island, right? So I have like a hundred daily dirt nap subscribers coming down to the conference. Super stressful. I got to deal with the venue and, the food and, you know, I'm going to be playing music and I got to, I got to wrangle like, you know, 12 speakers and it's a lot of stress. Right. But, and, and every year I ask myself, like, why do I put myself through this? You know, it's not really for the money, you know, but you do it because you grow as a person. Just a reminder, the Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter.
helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members. Breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action. Goldinvestmentletter.com Yeah, no, I think that that's true. And it reminds me of a conversation that Denise Schill and I had and I think she shared during Festival of Learning when we were uh, doing a session with Raul and Tony um, that she had a client that uh, had losing trades on their portfolio and it was so frustrating. It was like a little, and then she just said, why don't you get rid of it? And part of it was the, the stress of having to admit that it was a wrong trade and just coming to terms with it. And then the minute that he did, it was it was such a relief and it was off something something to that effect. It was it was a fantastic story, but again, it is that not avoiding stress, kind of confronting it, dealing with it, and moving on. It can it can really kind of handicap you if you don't. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I I do the same thing. Like I'll have a losing position and it's bugging me and it's bugging me and it's bugging me, and I don't do anything about it. But once I sell it, I feel a million times better. Like I'm like, why the hell did I wait so long to sell that thing? Yeah, so. I, I I love it. I'm gonna. I I really I love that idea. We're we're all here to feel a little stress. And um, once again, I'm definitely gonna use that on my kiddos. You also wrote one, sort of leaning more into the positive. And I think this is kind of what Rao was getting at, called "You Can Do Anything," which I found really empowering because I think the changes that are coming for me, especially when you talk about some of this AI stuff, are and keeping up with what's happening with technology in general. You know, the way it's tr changing everything can be really daunting. But you kind of make the case that if you want to do it, you put the work in, you can conquer stuff. Yeah. I, in the beginning of the essay, I talked about those extreme makeover shows, right? If you remember those things. I love those. I know. So did I. And a lot of people said they were kind of cruel and exploitative and stuff like that. But this is where you had somebody who was objectively ugly. Like they were just an ugly person. Or unstylish. Or whatever. But they gave them a makeover, new hair, new teeth, whatever. And I thought I thought it was terrific. And one of the things this is this is like a big theory of mine, but I truly believe that ninety percent of personal appearance is effort and not genetics. It's not genetics. Like anybody can look good if they want to. They can go shopping for clothes. They can do their hair or whatever. So the lesson in this is that you can really do anything you want. Right? You can do absolutely anything you want if you put in the time. Right. So like I'm a DJ. So, you know, it's if if I really wanted to, if I really wanted to spend 12 hours a day doing this, producing tracks, whatever, putting them on Beatport, touring, I could do that. You can do absolutely anything you want. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And that's, you know, that's part of what our mission is. Right. And that's what we preach. You can no matter who you are, you can get your head around this stuff. Um, we try to break it down so everyone can understand it. Um, and sort of move into the future because we all have to kind of have a handle on it. Loving the comments. Um, is this it? Said disconnect equals opportunity. Totally agree. And someone else just pointing out that um, Ray Dalio, oh, maybe same person, just put out a fear piece sort of on LinkedIn. 
because the psychology matters. Um, I have some ideas of a conversation I want to have with Denise. So we're going we're gonna to try to get her back in this environment as well, because I think it'll be super helpful. All right. We got, we got a lot of people want to talk about stuff, though, Jared. So I'm going to get a question or two in. Um, please, wait, we have a link, by the way, where you can find the book. Highly recommend. Um, it's super funny, too, which I love. Um, Jared has a wicked sense of humor. I just said my husband laughs all the time. when He's reading it in the other room. I can hear him. Um, and someone's read the book already because they say, what's wrong with cargo shorts? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's an inside joke, but read the essay, one of the essays in there and you'll find out. That's the one that had me, one of the ones that had me laughing a lot. Um, but someone asking about uh, gold. Please discuss gold. Thank you. What are your thoughts on gold, Jared? Well, uh, it's technically speaking, I mean, really gold is 90% technicals, but technically speaking, it's run into a little congestion around the all-time highs, which I'm not super worried about. Um, Brent Donnelly, who I'm sure you know, yes. has, uh, he tweeted, he had a tweet that got some attention, I think it was yesterday. Um, he pulled up a Google Trends chart of the search term, how to buy gold. And he showed that it is now at the highs of where it was in 2011 when gold peaked. Um, and that generated a lot of discussion. First of all, I'm not sure that Google Trends normalizes that search data over time. And there's a lot more people using Google than there were in 2011. But anecdotally speaking, I mean, I do think that sentiment on gold has gotten a little positive, but relative to where it was in 2011, it's nothing. Like there was so much bullishness in 2011. Peter Schiff was on TV every other day. You had those cash for gold stores. You had all these gold commercials, gold mine and stuff like that. It was, it was actually bananas. I mean, that was a bubble and we are nowhere near that today. So, so, you know, yeah, there's, there, there's a, there's a lot of disagreement, not a disagreement about gold, but there are people who are starting to wonder because it's kind of been a it kind of chronically under delivers, doesn't it? I think that's the problem. Well, I mean, I think that's true, but I think I think there's a difference between perception and reality. I mean, one of the reasons that gold has gotten so popular in the last couple of weeks is it's really the only thing that's working. Yeah. You know, I mean, like gold is close to the all time highs, and stocks are down fifteen percent from the all time highs, and bonds are a mess, and credit is a mess. I mean, if you go if you go and look around all the asset classes, it's the only thing that's working. So the longer that happens, the longer a trade works, the more sponsorship it's going to attract, and it's going to work more. It's reflexivity. So I, you know, I'm kind of a permable in gold. You know, and when I say permable, I I, I just want to explain what I mean by that. My thesis when I started investing in gold in 2005 was that it would outperform stocks on a long-term basis, like 10 or 20 years. And since 2005, gold has outperformed stocks. And I think it will continue to outperform stocks. That's the thesis. Well, it's, uh, someone asking, when gold crosses 2100, it could really attract capital. Is there a level that you think draws a lot more institutional money in? Because that's that's one of the things we've talked about, Rick Rule. Even if you see a slight increase in allocation, you know, traditionally to get back to maybe where they were before, you could kind of see a big move. Is there a level that you're looking at as important, Jared? Or are you just happy with the progress so far? Well, the all-time highs are around 2060. And we're about 3% away from that. So it's not that far away. I do want to point out one interesting thing. And I haven't heard anyone else mention this. 
you know, gold is up a little, but GDX is up a lot. And G- GDX, the gold mining ETF, is outperforming gold for the first time in a really long time. So I was I was kind of watching this happen. I was watching gold was kind of unch every day and GDX was going up every day. I kind of think that there's some large entity, kind of like a Bridgewater or a big macro fund or something like that, that made a made a big trade in miners. We're talking about a couple of billion. Because if you look at the GDX chart, it went straight up from 25 to 35 over the period of about a month and a half. And it was it was a little unusual. So I think that somebody or a, is a group of people are starting to take a strategic look at the miners. All right, let's. I, I want to make sure we get some some other topics in here too. Uh, so, question: What do you think of the debt ceiling drama? Could that be a catalyst for a correction in the market? Uh, I think it's definitely possible. Um, the Republicans. I had a I had a conversation with uh, somebody in politics. And it was it was a Republican. And I said, you know, it's really a bad idea to force this debt ceiling issue because it's going to boomerang back at the Republicans. You're going to shut down the government. The Republicans are going to get blamed, whatever. And his response was very interesting. He said, look, he says, we won the we won the midterm election like this is what the voters put us in Congress to do. We are going to do it. So I think the probability of a shutdown or some impasse with the debt ceiling is very, very high. I think there's a very high probability of that. So I just don't know how to express that. Mm. Uh, you you were talking a, a, a bit about Europe in one of your um, in one of your recent notes in one of your recent newsletters. UK inflation surprised the upside today. A lot of people not like what they saw coming out there. Um, are you still looking at Europe as attractive or did that change the scenario at all for you? No, it doesn't change the scenario. I definitely saw the inflation number. I mean, did you know that the top performing developed markets index in the world this year is the CAC in France? Like who would have guessed that? It's up 16% year to date, the CAC, right? Like Europe continues to outperform the US. It absolutely continues. So and it's it's very quiet. Not a lot of people are noticing, but this is this is one of these outperformance trades that could last for years. I've talked about this on the daily briefing before. Like this just continues to work over and over again. So, do you think it's just because it's coming from they're coming from such low levels that the that you know they just have more ground to make up, or is there something fundamental that's driving this? And it's interesting because uh, we have massive, ref- you know, massive protests going on over pension reform there. So, you know, honestly, I don't know, but it's working. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about um, what about bonds? I know we're we got some questions about that too as well. A lot of people, you know, it's funny because a lot of people right now are saying, "Don't look at the VIX; look at the Move Index." Um, we just had a really, really interesting conversation with uh, Michael Howell and. Raul on the platform. I encourage everyone to watch it if they hadn't had a, haven't had a chance to yet. Michael Howell, of course, tracks liquidity, um, and you know the influence that's having on bond markets. What are you What are you looking at here, Jared? Are you feeling like wh- where do you think yields are going? 
Honestly, I think yields are kind of in the middle of a range. I don't think there's a lot to do here. Um, you know, we're, we, we kind of have some certainty around Fed policy for the first time in a while. I would say the confidence around Fed funds estimates is probably the highest that it's been in over a year, you know? So um, I, I just don't, I, I, think, I think bonds are in a range. I don't think there's a lot to do. You think that we are going to see rate cuts this year? I mean, as someone just someone noted in the chat, uh, where's the lagged impact of all the rate hikes last year? The economy's still humming. You know, I, if you asked me two months ago if I thought we were going to get rate cuts this year, I would have said yes. Now I'm not so sure. I'm kind of changing my mind. Um, this Fed is very different from other Feds we've had in the past. If you think about the Bernanke, Mishkin, Fed of the 2000s, they were depression economists. They studied the Great Depression. And they, I mean, Bernanke's whole mission was to find the causes and the solution of the Great Depression. And that's how we got quantitative easing. These economists are a different generation. They grew up with the inflation in the 1970s. They, they, their model is Paul Volcker. So I think it's going to take a lot for the Fed to cut rates. I mean, I'm not like a lot of people think that maybe if unemployment gets to four and a half, five percent, that the Fed will cut. I'm not even necessarily sure. So I do think they're going to pause and they're going to pause for a while. But I, I think the rate cuts at the end of the year are looking less likely. That's interesting. Uh, it's some interesting comments in the chat, some theories about um, the CAC's performance. A luxury, someone suggesting luxury is driving CAC 40. LVMH owner just became the richest person on the planet. That's one theory. That's cool. I uh, wanted to ask you about energy as well. XLE. Uh, yeah, I'm still bullish. There's, I mean, this is kind of a tough daily briefing because there's just not a lot going on. You know, I mean, um, you know, I started to get bullish on oil when it was in the seventies. Now it's 79. So yeah, I think this is just going to take a long time to play out, you know, but you're not throwing in the towel. No, oh God, no, 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 no. Do you think a lot of people have gotten out of the trade? We, we I mean, we had a lot of people bullish on energy and there are still are significant amount of people who kind of feel like we're where, you know, that sticky inflation crowd is looking for a rebound in energy. So have they bailed? Have they, are they so, out? So in terms of sentiment, what energy got very crowded last year when oil got up to 120 and there's a whole bunch of people that continued to believe in it and wrote it all the way down to 70, right? So how, how many people of them have liquidated their positions? I don't know, some half, a lot, maybe, I'm not really sure. There's sort of, there's, a, there's an adage which is incorrect, but a lot of people sort of incorrectly believe that everybody needs to capitulate for the trade to go higher. And that isn't true. That's absolutely not true. Everybody doesn't have to capitulate. You do have to have some capitulation, but it's not. you're never going to get to a point where everybody gives up because there are some people who will ride it all the way to zero. So. Yeah, that's a great point about capitulation. I feel like everyone is 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 looking for that in every trade, right? They're yeah. they're trying to exactly time the bottom. You don't you don't think that adage is true anywhere, or is it specific to energy? No, just specific to energy. Yeah, yeah. Commodities are tough. 
though. A lot, a lot of people wondering about nat gas too. Are you just are you are you mostly looking at oil or are you across the energy complex? Just, just oil. Yeah. Uh, I know we always get a question about housing for you, Jared. First of all, how's your house going? Someone asked, how's the house building going? Since since there's a real a real life aspect to this that you're Yeah, talking. I actually haven't been there in two weeks. I have a walkthrough uh, next week where we're going to decide about the HVAC and the electrical and stuff like that. So, but I haven't I haven't been to the site in two weeks. Um, interestingly enough, we have a nibble on our current house. We're going to be showing it next week. Um, we're asking X and we'll see if they're willing to pay X. So, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting. Uh, do, so is housing holding up? I mean, is it, has Around it stabilized? Here it Around here it is. Yeah. It's always it, the tough thing with real estate because it, some of it, well, at least if you're talking in the U.S., some of it really is regional. It just depends on where you are. Yeah. Um, Robert asking, should we expect more defaults in commercial real estate or is Brookfield a one-off? I can't answer that question. I have no idea. But get, getting back to the housing point, um, you know, there were a lot of people on Twitter three months ago, six months ago, who said that housing was going to crash. Yeah. Like it was going to be 2008 all over again. And the chart that everybody liked to point put up on Twitter was the chart of mortgage payments, where the average mortgage payment went up like 80%, right? And I'm like, guys, you know, it's not so much that mortgage payments went up 80%. It's that they were negligible before. You know, if you have a mortgage with 2.5% interest, that's not normal. That's not normal. They, I mean, the average interest rate over time on a mortgage is about 7%. Mm. You know, so, I mean, yeah, that does cause some pain, but there it's going to be an adjustment period. The housing market isn't going to shut down because rates went from 2.5% to 5.5%. It's not. But but for a generation of people who haven't known anything but those interest rates, does that does the fact that they used to be higher matter? You know, like if, no, if you're a, a young question. couple, that's a good question. Yeah, if you're a young couple who, you know, have only lived in a because I see some of them moving in around here, I've got to think that that changed from just a year ago. What what those mortgage payments look like is huge, and take some adjusting to. I don't know. That's the part we don't really know because we're kind of in this grand experiment of artificially low interest rates and yeah. the fact that people are saying they might go back down again if you believe that. So that's that's kind of tough. But there's there's is there a shortage of housing though, Jared? Uh, I think there was a shortage of housing two or three years ago. Um, if you look at the charts of home construction in the U.S., it went up a lot. I think we're closer to closing that gap. I still think there is a little bit of a shortage, but it's not as pronounced as it was like in 2019. So, um, Last question, William asking, comments on materials industrial. When does the pain stop next year? Uh, is he, is, is he talking, about, talking like this? about that sector of the stock market? Although some of them are asking a lot of questions about your house. So yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm industrials, not sure if it's the cost of materials, but I'm, I'm thinking he means that sector of the stock market. Yeah. I mean, industrials have been pretty unch over the last month or so. Uh, I mean, they rallied a lot to start the year and then they've been kind of unch. I haven't really looked at basics. Um, you know, I, I, the one thing I'll say about commodities and basics and all that stuff in general is that I think in order for these trades to work, and this includes oil, by the way, we need another inflationary impulse, okay? 
And what does that look like? What does an inflationary impulse look like? Well, with the pandemic, it was a stimulus, right? It was a stimulus. It was the PPP loans. It was the childcare credits. Um, what does what does this inflationary impulse look like the next time around? I'm not really sure, but I don't think commodities are going to meaningfully work until that happens. Yeah, that's a good that's a good thing to watch out for. Um, Jared, we're out of time, but it was fantastic to catch up with you. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts to pay attention to, even <laughs> even though. Wait, I like how he's sneaking it up in, in front of his face very slowly. Okay, there's a plug for your book, those bastards. But it but it is it is a great read. Um, but we we love catching up with you, Jared. Thanks so thanks. much. And we'll see you again soon. And thanks to all of you. Uh, we will be back again tomorrow. I'm going to be catching up with Jem Carson, who's always super. So be sure to join us for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, the Real Vision Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Gold Investment Letter, helping sophisticated investors successfully navigate capital markets and maximize profits in gold, silver, and mining stocks. GIL discovers the most undervalued companies and isolates special situations in the mining sector for their members, breaking down unique topics such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends with a goal of drastically improving investment returns. Sign up for this free e-letter for immediate action. Goldinvestmentletter.com.